Morning, church. Uh, my name is Tim, and uh, I'm the pastor in charge of Smack One. And it's glad, uh, really glad to have the privilege of speaking to you as we continue on uh, through our series in Galatians this morning. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is gracious, merciful, and desires to save. We thank you that you continually speak to us and that you never cease to draw us to you through your Son by your Spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, to, to do so not only by ourselves, but also as a community of ones who are saved by your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'd like to begin by asking, when was the last time you shouted at the top of your, of your voice in public? Well, for me, it was quite recent. As I was picking my kids up from daycare, and I was uh, loading them into the car. So, I was putting my oldest into the car, and in a split second, out of the corner of my eye, I see my four-year-old uh, run to the road. And of course, as a parent, I'll be like, ah! I, I can't remember what I said, but I, 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 I know I screamed. Um, and only to find out that she wasn't really running to the road. She was just running to the side where there was a drain because she saw a leaf that she liked. <laughs> now, some, some of you may say, oh, as parents, you shouldn't yell. That's not the best response. Don't yell at your kids. But I think uh, we can all safely agree that the wrong response would be for me to, to look at my four-year-old and say, oh, have fun, dear. Run along to the road, go ahead. Or, well, typical of parents today, let me whip up my phone and record this and upload this and see how many likes I get, right? No, that's the wrong response. Uh, because if I did that, I'll be, I'll be a horrible parent, isn't it? Because if I love my child, I will not sit by and do nothing as they head into danger. And it is this parental zeal that Paul exhibits in our passage today. So, a bit of context. What have we been through so far? If you're first time with us, what have we been through? We've seen in earlier chapters that Paul had rebuked the Galatians for turning to Old Testament law, to follow the law. Because by the law, Paul said, no one can be justified. And that's in chapter 2, verse 16. And he's, he, he further elaborated that the law is, is God's perfect standard of righteousness. And it's something that none of us could achieve. And thus, all of us remain guilty before a holy God. And that all of us, we qualify as what Paul says, this present evil age waiting judgment of a holy God. And we see God sending his son, Jesus Christ, uniting himself with humanity, that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. So through Christ, through faith in Christ, we are justified. Again, uh, this is chapter 2, verse 16. And we've become heirs of God, sons of the promise in uh, chapter 3, verse 29. And as we've seen last week, not only that, but God has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts to intimately call out to God as Abba, Father. So for the Galatians to turn their backs on all that blessedness and to head into the law that cannot save them is a grave mistake. And as we read in Numbers, it's as grave as the, 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 the nation of Israel desiring to return back to Egypt, returning to slavery and not wanting to go into the promised land of blessedness with God. So our passage today is uh, in chapter 4, verses 12 to 20. And we see Paul, as I said, as a loving parent, seeing his spiritual children going astray, going wayward, and is zealously, emotionally pleading with them to turn back. For us then, I hope that we can learn that believers are to maintain their zeal for Christ in gospel community. And that's uh, our takeaway for my message today. And this will be in three parts. Uh, first, that Paul entreats the Galatians to follow his example. Uh, 
Paul reminds the Galatians of their past blessedness, and that last but not least, he anguishes over them as an anxious parent. And we'll be working through these uh, as we go on through this passage. So if you have the Bi- your Bible ready and open, it's handy for you to look at that, or even looking at the handout, uh, even as you have the handout in front of you. So let's look at Paul's emotional plea in the first part of verse 12. What does he say? In chapter, 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I have also become as you are. Interesting of note is that now, we're already chapter 4 into the letter, right? Now, only now, does Paul give them an instruction. Only now, does Paul give them a command. <laughs> and I, I had to check this out, right? Impossible. No way. Paul, you know, he, he's been talking about so much, so much things, right? No, no. Now he makes his first command of his whole letter in this verse. And inter- interestingly, uh, so it's, uh, he, he makes his command not on the base of his authority, as you would expect. Even though he, and he takes pains to establish that authority in chapter 1. No, no, no. He makes this command on this instruction on the basis of being their brother. Okay? Brother. Adelphoi. And the Greek word could either be brother or sister. It's a general term for sibling here. And why can he do that? Because of their shared sonship in Christ from chapter 4, verse 6. You see, God doesn't have grandchildren. That we're all of us sons. That we all of us stand before God with a direct connection to him, Abba, Father. And it's on basis of that shared sonship that Paul gives them this command. So what is his command? Become as I am. So Paul calls on the Galatians, who have, especially those who have bought into following the law, to instead follow Paul's example. So what did Paul did? We see in chapter 1, verse 14, that Paul himself was zealous for the law at one point of time. But that he, as he was zealous for the law and persecuting the church, he met the risen Christ. And he turned to follow him. So he's calling on the Galatians to, again, turn away from the law and to follow Christ who can and does save you. And he asked them to do this because he also became as they were. And this is calling back to Paul when he, was, when he first met them. He lived among them. He fellowshiped among them, free from the law, as if he were a Gentile. And, and Paul would move on to talk more about his time when he was first with them. But before we do that, I think it's good for us to pause and consider the implications of his command. Because like I said, it's odd that it's only in chapter 4 that he makes his first command. So he makes his command to become as I am because I became as you are based on this first principle. That uh, believers should follow faithful, godly gospel examples. Now let me ask again, how many of us would ask other Christians to become as we are? Just as Paul did. Many of us would hesitate. Right? It's not the Asian tendency to, to boast, isn't it? It could be out of a desire to not be seen as proud or maybe the realization that we are not perfect. And that's fair. But think about it for a moment. If we are in Christ, in so much as we are in Christ, that, that we're seeking to follow Christ, in so much as the Holy Spirit has done a work in our lives and has, and has, has guided us along, May I then contend that we are a model of what it means for an imperfect people to follow Christ in an imperfect world. We are called to model for one another what it means to follow Christ. Okay, can you imagine, right, for a new convert, for a young Christian, or even for our children to grow up, and their impression of Christianity is for Christians who are supermen and superwomen of the faith. For that to be their impression of what it means to walk with Christ, to have no struggles with sin, to have no weaknesses, to have no failures at all. 
that is absolutely crushing. It's, it, because no one can live up to that. No one could. And if, we, if that's the image that we set up, we are setting up our younger ones for failure. We should not be afraid to acknowledge our weaknesses because our weaknesses glorify Christ. Does the 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 tell us that, that Paul boasts all the more gladly of his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be revealed in him? And remember, our, our main thought for this message is that believers are to maintain their zeal for Christ in gospel community. So may I encourage you instead to be thinking of like, oh, yellow, I've been in church for so long. Huh? Why hasn't anyone approached me to be a model to me? Typical, right? But instead, let's turn it around and ask, God, who can I be an example for? Who can I be encouraging from this day on? Because unless you're among us, not a Christian, or you're among us and you have no Christian that's younger than you, I would say that you have no excuse. <laughs> because we're all sons of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. We're meant to stand shoulder to shoulder. And as much as we have experienced God's goodness, our experience were not just meant to grow our own faith. Our experience were meant to grow the faith of our brothers and sisters as well. To strengthen them. But perhaps... Maybe this is a very big ask. Like, oh, Tim, what's this? I'm so nervous right now. Maybe, maybe, all right, you need to step, take a step back and remind yourself of your past blessedness uh, as a motivation to be doing so. And that's what Paul does in his next section. So let's move on uh, to the next part of uh, verse 12 uh, on all the way to verse 15, where Paul, in continuing his point, remember he's saying, I've become as you are. He's recalling back, bringing them back to when they first met. And he says these words, you did me no wrong. And in, in saying that they did him no wrong, Paul is making a total statement. It's not that when I first met you, you did me no wrong, now you're turning away from me, now you're offending me. No, no, no. It's a total statement, and we know this because of the Greek tense. I'm not going to go too deep in the Greek, but it just means that from the first time to the moment of him writing, he says that you've not offended me, you've not harmed me, you've done me no evil. And he goes on, verse 13, you know it's because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So what is this bodily ailment? Um, and here's the thing, we cannot know for sure. So I won't claim to know for sure. But what are a few things that we are absolutely sure of? Number one, it was something to do with his body. It wasn't like, oh, my weakness is that I work too hard. No, no, no. It, it was an actual physical ailment, all right? Uh, Paul places it in his flesh in verse 13. Uh, in verse 14, he says, it, my, my flesh was a trial to you, quite literally. So it, is, it has to do with his body, number one. Number two, it was because of this ailment that placed him in Galatia in the first place. Okay? Number, number three, that this ailment is described as a trial or as a test to the Galatians. Uh, in that this ailment, whatever it was, was a reasonable, uh, reaction, a, a re reasonable re response to Paul's ailment was to reject him. Now, we don't know what it could be, but that's how he described it. That his ailment is a reasonable uh, uh, reason for the Galatians to re re reject him. And he uses these two words, that you didn't scorn or despise me. And quite literally, you didn't spit on me. You didn't look down at me and, and disregard me and ignore me, even though they could have. Right? And the word trial here is the same word for test or temptation. And if that was a test, the Galatians passed with flying colors because what was their response? They accepted the gospel gladly. That they were incredibly grateful to uh, they, they responded to the, to the gospel, God's message of life, with, with such enthusiasm that they welcomed his messenger in Paul. 
And Paul describes that in the next verse as well, in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? Remember in earlier in chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, that Paul calls those who preach a different gospel as anathema, as cursed. Right? May, th- may those people who preach a different gospel go to hell. And that's cursedness. But on the inverse side of it here, to receive the gospel with joy is blessedness. And the depth of that blessedness is in the next part of verse 15. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That the depth of their appreciation for Paul was such that even to the extent, if it was possible for them to gouge out their eyes to give to Paul in replacement. I mean, nowadays with modern medical surgery, we can have cornea replacement. Wonderful, right? But back then, they couldn't. But even if they could have, they would have been more, willing, more than willing to do so. Now, a lot of people hint, look at this and hint that maybe Paul's earlier ailment was eye-related. And that's a fair guess. But I think more important is that is the depth that they, their, their love for Paul. Their love for Paul in that, I'm willing to go blind so that you can see. And none of us can deny that that's a deep sign of love, isn't it? Now, where did this love come from? That this love came from the gospel, from in response to the gospel. That before, can you imagine, let's, let's put ourselves in the Galatian shoes. Can you imagine what it's like to, to, before receiving the gospel, to be enslaved by things that are not God's? To be living uh, day by day, um, working for things that will not satisfy you, that will not fulfill you. And not only that, but to live under the awareness that you're guilty before a holy God. And that nothing you do, no good you do, can ever be good enough to pay back what you have before a holy God. And that in a moment, the message of the gospel, to know what the, the God of this universe, the, the one true creator God is really like. And he's not uh, eagerly judging you, but rather he has set out a way for you to be saved. He has set out salvation for you. How loving, how good he is because he has worked out your salvation through what Christ did on the cross. That through the gospel, you found out what it means to be fully forgiven to be fully loved and fully accepted and not by anyone, not by any random person, but by the God of the universe to completely love and forgive and accept you. What does it mean? And that He even gave His Spirit into your hearts so that you can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. Can you remember what it's like when the first time you awoke to this truth? For the first time you, you, you realized how amazing His grace was. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're new here and you're visiting, my friend just brought me, I don't know what's this uh, angry guy in front talking about, uh, and you don't know what it means to, to, to own Christ as Lord and all the things that we're talking about, can I first say, speak to you directly, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we are so glad uh, that you're here among us, uh, for whatever reason it is, uh, and we hope that you leave, that this time, your time with us will be an encouraging one. But above all, we really hope that you'll be able to taste and see how truly God loves you. And God does love you. And like all things, to, to know whether someone loves you or not, you have to test them. It's a two-way thing, right? He, he's, the invitation is open. And may I invite you to take that invitation to find out God's love for you. And if you have any questions at all, you can reach out to us at the link at stmarys.my slash connect. Or you can listen out to the announcements later. That, that link will be shown out as well. Okay, but if that is not you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've already believed the gospel, Christ is your Lord, um, the, whole, the, the spirits that work in your heart, uh, maybe, especially if you've been walking with God for a while, perhaps you've lost that fervor, you've lost that desire, like you won't be willing to give your eye out for anyone, let's put it that way. 
How do we maintain that? How do we maintain that love? And that's in our next principle, in that we need to maintain our gospel fervor, isn't it? Now, why is it important? Because our fervor for the gospel, our gratitude to God for saving us, is the main motivating factor in all our good works, in all our Christian life. That if we operate our Christian life out, outside of this gratitude, we find ourselves falling very easily into pride or legalism. Gratitude for the gospel needs to be our motivating factor in the Christian life. So how do we do so? Well, in human relationships, if there's a falling out, it's common uh, to, to establish connection or, or reconciliation based on past love. There once was a time when um, friends loved each other, right? That the shared experience, the love you had at first. And we see Paul doing this to the Galatians as well. You loved me at one point in time so much so that you would have given your eye out for me. What happened? Right? And to, to touch base in there. Now, for, we need to keep doing this with God as well. And we keep, need to keep doing this because we're forgetful. And it's in our nature to drift away. Right? And in one sense, we individually, we privately reconnect with God. God, I'm so sorry I drifted away from you. I forgot about you. And we reconnect with Him. But we also know that uh, that God has given us the means to reconnect with Him by His Word. He's given us His Spirit in our hearts. But don't forget, He has also given us His church. Not this building, as wonderful as it is, but His people to be reminding us of how much He loves us. And we can't do that if we're not in community. So coming back to our main idea, believers are to maintain their zeal for Christ in gospel community. And even as we are to model for one another what it means to be following Christ, we have to be spending time as a community in the gospel. What does gospel community look like as it keeps gospel fervor? Um, there are many ways it could look like. It involves spending time together, uh, not just doing stuff together, right? Because people can bond over badminton, over food, over football, over, especially Malaysians, like food, right? It's the main connecting thing. But as good as those things are, those things do not define gospel community. Because you can have non-Christians doing the same thing and connecting at the same level. No, no. Gospel con community is a gathering where God is the center. Through their shared relationship with God, through His Word, uh, and sharing what God is doing in each other's lives, praying together, celebrating the highs of life together, and, and, and crying together in the sorrows of life. Now, naturally, the most natural way is by joining a GG a growth group, uh, our church's word for small groups here. And if you're not part of one, but you're part of, you've been coming regularly every Sunday, um, and if you're looking for community, you're looking for other believers to be gathering with, that's the most natural uh, place to be reaching out to. Uh, and our link there is samaris.my slash smallgroups. Put an inquiry, uh, can I find a group that will best meet my schedule slash needs? And we could try to link you up. That's our best way to uh, be doing that. But, uh, and, and even for those who have been doing so, and I'm so grateful for all who have, I'm so grateful for our small group leaders who faithfully lead week after week and for the gospel growth that happens there. But may I encourage you that if you have made that step of being a member in a GG, uh, remember that, this, that you are a group of believers who have committed to doing life together, right? Now, as great as GG is, um, that's the most normative way that we place for, for, you, for you guys to, to function. Uh, for there are those for whom that may not be possible. And that's just a reality in life. 
uh, and do let us know how best we can be helping you to be part of any community whatsoever because there are many other groups outside of GG. But here's the thing, we need to be in community because Christians, we're not meant to live the Christian life alone. Okay, let me state this point a bit stronger. That there is no such thing as a lone wolf in the Christian life. Um, I'm open to have my mind changed on this, uh, but from where I stand right now, I think the term Christian lone wolf is unbiblical. Because I don't think there's any reason that would justify uh, a lone wolf as a normative Christian experience. I'm not denying that there are people who find themselves in a very unique circumstance, like for example, they're in North Korea and they're Christian, right? Fine. <laughs> but that's not the normative, isn't it? And we, as uh, whatever we want to say about government, we are not in North Korea, right? So that is not, the, the lone wolf thing is not a normative thing, okay? Now, and I hope you know that I'm saying this out of love. Because, uh, well, hard words are not always well received, isn't it? And that's what Paul realizes in our next section. So let's just move on in the last section, which is verses 16 to 20. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Literally, have I become your hostile, like hostile towards you or someone who hates you because I'm telling you the truth? That Paul, in calling out the Galatians on the error, realizes that, especially to those who bought into the lie, would take that as hostility. Don't forget, Paul is writing a letter and he's not getting any immediate feedback, right? Like, if I say something wrong and I can see the faces change a bit, I, I get immediate feedback. But Paul doesn't get that, right? Especially by those who were convinced by the Judaizers. Now, how do we, let me just pause a bit and ask a question, how do we receive truthful rebukes? No, I said truthful rebukes. Uh, we must be careful not to say that, you know, uh, in our hearts, the rebuke is not true because I think it's not true. Because that's, uh, truth is not subjective. Now, most times, uh, our pride does not want to receive rebukes well. Uh, let me share from my first-hand experience, okay? So I once had the privilege to send one of my sermons to be critiqued by a, a renowned preacher. It's a really privileged, right? A renowned preacher, not in Malaysia. And let's just say the feedback that I got woke me up from the illusion that, my, that I did a good job in my sermon, all right? It's, it was really like bit by bit, just tore it up bit by bit, verse by verse. Uh, it was really hard to swallow. And, uh, but especially when it was a feedback from a trusted source. So I'm not going to lie, it was really painful, it was really um, hurting and humbling, but ultimately life-giving. You see, it was helpful, I realized I, I, after the initial like, uh, after I cried by myself kind of thing, and woke up out of it, I realized that it's helpful to receive feedback that was well-constructed and enabled me to improve um, rather than being stuck in spiritual pride. So I admit, um, I still have room to improve as a preacher, so you guys have feedback, it's welcome, and I'll hear you out. Uh, but like I said, it's better to be rebuked than to go on in spiritual pride. Now, how does spiritual pride look like? You see, pride needs to constantly be fed Ego is insatiable. You always need people to be saying nice things about you. Um, yeah, but, but ultimately, that's not what's good for you. That, that will stunt your spiritual growth. Now, another way spiritual pride could be manifesting itself is that if you've been listening to me all this while and saying, yes, spiritual rebuke, yes, rebuke in truth, I hope that other person is listening because he's not as, he or she has not been accepting my rebukes. <laughs> if, that, if you've been thinking about that, maybe that's true, maybe that's not but may I gently or kindly remind you to be thinking about yourself. How have you, how have I been receiving truthful rebukes? Or is it 
pride deflecting our hearts from receiving that rebuke for ourselves. And I hope that we won't be like the false teachers, as Paul outlines in the next thing, a prime example of spiritual pride in verse 17. That they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this phrasing in the ESV about make much of. Um, it essentially tra- it, uh, translates to the same the root word of zealousness or zeal, to strive for, to be jealous for, Okay. So taking that into consideration, when we read verse 17, it's it just the simple meaning of it is that the false teachers were working really, really hard to convert the Galatian Christians. Okay? Uh, they were telling them that to be included into Abraham's family, you need to be circumcised and follow the law. But ironically, telling them to be included in that way shuts them out from Paul and the gospel and the true family of Abraham in Christ. And that the false teachers were doing this to the Galatians so that they, in turn, would desire them. And we read more about this even in Galatians chapter 6, verse 13, later on. They wanted to do, to do this so that they can boast in the Galatians' flesh. Right? They wanted to do, so, do it so that they can boast. So this is the motivations of the false teachers. It's self-serving. It's, it's for their pride. It's for them to raise their status, if you will. And in contrast, we have Paul in verse 18. He says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present here. Now, uh, in verse 18, how do we we explain verse 18? Here is where um, the word zealous was used in the passive, to be zealous over. You see, it doesn't exist in English, which is why the ESV translators use the word make much of because it could be in the passive. All right? Paul is saying that to the Galatians, it is good for someone to be zealous over you. It is good for someone to, to desire you, to be jealous for you for the good purpose. Paul's stating here, I have no beef in this. I'm not jealous. I'm not doing this for my own agenda. If someone else is building you up in Christ, all power to them. I will be glad for you for it. Paul's not boasting. Paul's not for their praise. He's for their good. As you read in verse 20, that, that he wishes Christ to be formed in He wishes them to grow in Christ. As any good parent, all we want for our children is for the best. We want them to be, yes, we want them to be productive adults, but more than that, for, especially for Christian parents, we want our children to grow up in Christ-likeness because that is truly what is best for them, right? And in verse 19, like, he, he describes them, that's how he describes them, as his little children, right? That the word little children is, is literally technized, toddler. My little children, my little impressionable young children for whom I'm in the anguish of childbirth. Now, Paul obviously is not speaking from first-hand experience. Uh, neither am I, okay? But I, was, uh, I had the good fortune to be, uh, I was blessed enough to be with my wife in the labor room uh, through, for both of my kids. And, and, and through that ordeal, seeing her go through that, I can, exp- I can add a hint at what, see what glimpse at what Paul is going for here. Firstly, there's an intense effort and pain and anguish and effort involved in the endeavor, right? But secondly, it is not pain without a purpose. It's pain to see something achieved with great, and, and, and that the anticipation is with great joy. There's pain in the moment, but with the realization that there will be great joy later. So Paul, as in, in, in his anguish of being uncertain, I don't know how they receive it. Have they been fully persuaded by the false teachers? He doesn't know. He's in pain. He's in anguish and he desires to see Christ formed in them. 
okay? For them to grow in maturity in Christ, for them not to be susceptible to the false teachers of Judaism. And may I speak for a moment to the parents of Smack One? As I said, there's no higher good as Christian parents to desire for Christ to be fully formed in our kids. And may I push a bit further? It is by modeling for them what it means to be in gospel community. It's to be modeling for our kids, not setting them apart, not setting ourselves apart from gospel community. By, by serving God, by honoring God, by putting Him first in our lives. For our children to see us serving God, for our children to see us loving God and putting God first rather than letting them see that we put them first. I'm speaking to this as a parent. I'm speaking to this in, in hope of love, knowing that you want what's best for your kids too. But what about the rest of us? Now, none of us here, I hope, will be facing temptation to get circumcised and follow Old Testament law, okay? <laughs> At least I hope not. But then, I would, th- I would say that there are those among us, maybe those even within your own circle, who are struggling with doubt, who are struggling with sin, who are struggling and maybe the Christian faith just doesn't make sense for them anymore. And maybe they're at risk of falling away. May I ask, do we anguish over such people? We know who they are. They're in our circles, isn't it? Or are we spending our Christian lives seeking our own spiritual fulfillment? Because if we truly care for our brother and sister, the best way to to show them care is to let your presence be felt. And and we we will see this later on in, in, in verse 20, right? to let your presence be felt, to be there with them, for them. That Paul, being physically, we see Paul's example of being physically apart from the Galatians. He wrote a letter to them because of the warring report. And he's wondering, would the letter reach them? Would they receive it? Would they receive the messenger? Would they pass it on to the rest of the region? Galatians is a big region. It's not just one city. Would, would, they, would anyone be left out of the communication? Was I too harsh, perhaps? Would they heed my warning? Or would they double down in following the law? Would I get a report back from them? When would I hear back from them? If I would hear back from them. You see, I'm sure the uncertainty and distance contributed significantly to Paul's anguish here. That his deep desire to be, and that, that led to his deep desire to be present with them, to change his tone. And for us, the same principle applies. If we care about someone, we will reach out, we will walk with them, we want to be there with them. And this is the last principle, which is we need to guard each other to gospel zeal. So Paul, as I was preparing for this message, Paul's anguish over the Galatians and his longing to be present with them really convicted me because I see myself where I could be doing so much more uh, to be caring for those that God has placed in my life. And I think the challenge is to not be... Con- to, to, be to be... Okay. The response here to not be concerned with the spiritual development of our brothers and sisters is not right. It's abnormal in as much as it's not the right response for a parent to not care if their children are heading to danger, right? That we should care for our brothers and sisters equally as well. So we've seen how we should model for each other. We have seen how we should help each other maintain gospel fervor. But last but not least, that we should be zealous for one another, desiring that the gospel is fully worked out in each other's lives. Remember, believers, we are to maintain our zeal for Christ in gospel community. Like I said, the church isn't this building. The church isn't uh, one and a half hours every week on Sunday. The church is Christ's body that shines forth his gospel into the godless world that needs him. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And I become increasingly convinced that none of us can make it to the end without each other. I cannot make it alone. You cannot make it alone. None of us could make it to the end alone. That the only way that we'll be faithful to the end, to, to truly be all that God desires us to be, is to have Christ fully formed in us together. So who do we need to be encouraging? And if you personally need any help, would you be allowing anyone to be speaking life into you? And I pray that we may be a community, that Smack, that St. Mary's may be a community that loves each one another enough to not let each other slip into error and do so out of love. And this starts by us being open to, to correction and open to reach out. Let us pray. Father, even as we've seen Paul's zeal demonstrated in our passage today, we feel ourselves rebuked for all the times that we don't either we've forgotten what it means to be grateful to you or we've forgotten what, it, what you have placed us in this world for. I thank you, Lord, that you are always quick to forgive, that you're always uh, able to turn around. So, Father, I pray and ask, O oh Lord, that for, for those of us who will come to you, may we be, be, be receiving this rebuke in a spirit of humility through your spirit, and then may you give us the ability to obey you, to have the boldness to live for you. May we have the, the courage to be a gospel community centered around what you have done for us in Christ, but loving each other that the world may know that we are your disciples. Help us to not to dispense with surface level interactions, but help us, O oh Lord, to truly love one another. And such a thing can be, cannot be done humanly. We need your help. So I pray and ask for your spirit to be with us uh, as, even as we... Um, leave here after this service, that we may be forming uh, communities that glorify you. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.